episode 87, A Look Behind the Curtain at Chronic Care Management. Today, I speak with Jamie Grant from CareSync. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. At the beginning of last year, 2015, many providers started a journey through four stages toward the acceptance of chronic care management, CCM. The first quarter was disbelief. In other words, are you trying to get me to defraud Medicare? Get out of my office. The second quarter was Shangri-La. I read about this CCM in New England Journal of Medicine. It's free money and I can do it myself. So get out of my office. (laughs) The third quarter was anger. I'm never going to make money at this. I can't believe all these regulations. This is never going to work. Followed by the fourth stage in the fourth quarter, which was, I don't know, kind of dawning reality. Oh, I can outsource this. I can be guaranteed to profit at at least some percentage. Jamie Grant from CareSync was in a prime viewing position to watch this psychographic journey. Today, we talk about chronic care management, as well as a number of other things. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Jamie. Awesome. It's great to be here, Stacy. Let's talk about CareSync. What's the story? What are the pillars that you built CareSync around? At the foundational level or the philosophical level, a few of us got together in 2010, towards the end, 2011, and basically acknowledged and recognized that healthcare technology was broken. And that one of the reasons it was broken is that the patient was often the spoke rather than the hub. And so we wanted to build a platform that would put patients at the hub of their healthcare journey and that would allow them to share anything they wanted with anyone they wanted, whether that was a provider, a caregiver, a a family member, a social worker, whoever that may be, that if we empowered patients with their own information and we empowered patients with the ability to share that information, that the entire continuum of care would have access to that information and that the patient would receive better care. How does CareSync create an environment where the patient is the center of the hub? For us, I think even through our journey, one of the things that I don't think we didn't acknowledge maybe at first or we underestimated, depending on who you ask on our team, was the difficulty to get the information, step one, right? So if I'm a patient, how do I actually get my own information if I want to be at the hub? And step two is for somebody who doesn't speak the native language or the foreign language of healthcare, how do I understand that information? And so probably our largest iteration from the outset was adding services where we would actually go get at the patient's direction all of their records from all of their providers process that into meaningful or actionable data inside the platform using HIPAA and give the patient understandable access to their information. I I think that was really one of the first things that we noticed that really needed to be addressed. I was listening to somebody speak, and I'm going to totally forget the attribution, but the point was is that patients don't want data, really. They don't want data. What they want is to be cared for. (laughs) There is a difference there. You know, like Todd Park said, He said, you know, you can't take data and slather it all over yourself and be healed, which is, I think, the point in general that you're making, the idea that it's not data that matters. It's actionable data. It's understanding what to do with that data. It's understanding the data that you're given. 
Yes. I think that when you look at patients overall, I can tell you that just from the behavior inside of our platform, the level of engagement with providers and caregivers for patients who paid for our services and who had a longitudinal chart that reconstructed every episode of care they'd had with transcribed visit notes and attached source documents, they engage with their data far more than somebody who uses CareSync freely doesn't pay for our services and comes in and adds their meds and conditions and allergies and providers and just kind of the basic information to be able to share. So I think that it's absolutely true and certainly in the acute setting that we don't care about data. We care about feeling better, getting cured, whatever, you know, making the pain stop. But I think it's a major oversight for us to believe that patients don't actually want to understand healthcare or don't actually want to have the information necessary to become a consumer of healthcare rather than just a patient. Although I would question the example that you're giving as as a proof source. If a patient has paid for a service or a patient has bought a Garmin or an Apple Watch and is on Strava, then obviously we're dealing with kind of a loaded patient segment. You know, I don't know that that patient necessarily represents your average guy on the street. So I'm, so I'm going to stop you for a second because I know where you're going and I think it's a very fair question and a very fair counterpoint. Here's the difference, though. The person who paid for it invested nothing but money. The person who came in and put their information in and uploaded their documents invested their time. So I think it's fair to say that they're both loaded patients. In our case, a patient's coming in and discovering things in their chart. They're finding errors. They're realizing that there were mistakes in diagnosis, meaning that maybe someone in the HIE network clicked a box inaccurately. And so now every one of the patient's providers is seeing that this patient is diabetic, even though the patient is not diabetic and has never actually been diagnosed. They're engaging with that content. Yeah, and I would agree with the point that you made that in either case, whether they pay with money or the equivalent in time, it still does represent a certain type of patient. It implies a patient who has a certain amount of number one wherewithal, but number two, a certain interest level in their own health and caring for their own health. kind of goes back to the same thing that the people that get Fitbits and track their fitness and participate in fitness gamification are the people that probably are least likely to be the high acuity patients that really, really need it. Let's talk about CareSync and its current iteration. The here to there was actually kind of a cool journey. It was one of those days I'll never forget. Our CEO called me as I was walking into a dinner and he said, we got a code. And I said, what are you talking about? Are you serious? And sure enough, CMS had announced a reimbursement that really in large part kind of described the core of what we'd been doing for several years on the technology and services side. And so what CMS did with the chronic care management reimbursement is is put some pretty stringent technology and services protocols on a monthly reimbursement that quite frankly isn't a very high dollar amount for the provider that probably doesn't enable providers to do on their own. But what one of the things that CMS did was say that it could be outsourced to a third party under the general supervision guidelines. And so providers could actually have somebody come in and do these services for them. And when we looked at the code, it was I mean, comical of if you broke the protocols into kind of 12 different components, I think day one we hit 10 and we had to make a couple tweaks on the platform to hit 12. And really the only company in the country doing what we were doing. And so the here to there was really just a pivot from 
direct to consumers where patients and caregivers and families had been paying us for our services originally. And the heart of our product was built and engineered always to go B2C straight to the consumer to now having an opportunity to go to providers where providers had an opportunity to generate revenue, provide the benefit to the patient at low or almost in a lot of cases, no cost. And so really minor things changed with our services, minor things changed in the platform. And our focus really on the distribution side pivoted from B2C to straight to the providers. And so now we work with over about 500 providers uh, throughout the country in, in health systems and practices delivering chronic care management services to the patient. So these are patients that are Medicare beneficiaries with two or more chronic conditions. A lot of times are frequent flyers. So our job every single month on behalf of the provider working with the patients is to find the gaps in care, try and equip the provider with the information and the insights to intervene and hopefully drive down costs, improve outcomes, some of the things that, that as a healthcare industry, we're obviously very focused on, on accomplishing. You just mentioned onerous requirements relative to CCM reimbursement. What are some of the most onerous that you've seen providers struggle with? I think for the provider side, I'll knock out what they're stuck with first, and then I'll go to what their internal barriers are. Number one is CMS made it very clear that chronic care management is a big step forward in interoperability. So the heart of the chronic care management reimbursement is a patient-centric care plan that includes information on all of a patient's health issues, certainly implying that I need to go get records from all of a patient's providers. And secondly, that that patient-centric care plan be electronically accessible across the entire continuum of care to providers as necessary. And that has to be electronically, and facts doesn't count. So CMS eliminated the healthcare industry's favorite technology piece of equipment, the fax machine, and said, you have to share this electronically. The EMR certainly doesn't, you know, the Athena user down the street from the Allscripts user down the street from the NextGen user next to the Cerner user doesn't really have an ability unless they're going to use direct send or maybe send a CCDA, request, receive kind of thing. But the protocols don't actually allow you to say, well, the cardiologist down the street is still on paper and he doesn't have the ability to receive or she doesn't have the ability to receive a CCDA or a direct send, I still have to get it to them electronically. So the interoperability components are a protocol that the providers really struggle with, not their fault, but kind of the technology they've been burdened with, never having really embraced interoperability, I think, until maybe recently we finally are serious about interoperability. So that's one. As far as the practice itself on the services side, 24-7 access to the care team is typically a problem for a solo practitioner or a, a small practice that isn't open 24 hours. So other than a hospital that has an infrastructure of nurses or care coordinators that, that can work 24-7, that's typically there. And then lastly, it's the amount of work it takes for the revenue. Typically, the provider looks at it and says, well, gosh, if I had to do all of those things every month and I had to hire on a ratio of, of probably one care coordinator to 200 to 250 patients... I probably lose money at it. And so those are probably the three. The first is creating a patient-centric care plan that can be viewed by all doctors participating in the patient's care coordination. Electronically. Electronically. Right? That's the, that's the, if I could fax it, it wouldn't be a problem. Got it. Which presumes a certain level of interoperability, as you mentioned. Right. The second one is 24-7 access. And then number three is right-sizing the care with the reimbursement. Right. Interesting. It's funny because I was reading Dr. Kevin the other day. And, and the one thing that struck me that one of his contributors had mentioned is that it's only traditional Medicare patients that are eligible for this. So oftentimes providers really don't have hundreds of patients which are eligible for this type of care. So of the 500 providers that you serve, are there some 
commonality amongst them? You know, how many patients do they normally have? And if they have a lot, is it a certain type of provider? And I haven't seen the contributor to Dr. Kevin's. So I, I want to be very careful not to suggest that somebody was wrong when I haven't even seen the work. Mm-hmm. Medicare Advantage has to cover this benefit. How they covered is the question. So it would be fair to say that Medicare Advantage has played some games, that different plans have behaved very, very differently. But a Medicare Advantage plan by federal law has to cover all of the traditional benefits of Medicare with the exception of hospice, and certainly chronic care management is not hospice. So those plans have to cover the benefit. The question is, do they put a $1 reimbursement to the provider and a $40 copay to the patient, or do they reimburse it almost identically to Medicare. And so we have seen both. We have discovered throughout the country the the Medicare Advantage plans that are embracing the code, that are recognizing the importance of the code and trying to cut down on ED admissions, trying to make sure that we discover gaps in care. And those plans are very aggressively trying to get their patients who are eligible to the extent, Stacey, that even some of those plans are covering beyond Medicare years on the commercial side. They're moving from their Medicare Advantage plan into their commercial plan recognizing that patients with two or more chronics, just because I'm maybe 50 with five chronics, I'm probably just as expensive as somebody that's 67 with five chronics. So the Medicare Advantage plans do have to cover it. It is oftentimes tricky and challenging and a moving target, but it goes to probably the heart, all of that prelude aside, it goes to the heart of one of the challenges in healthcare. Most providers don't know how many customers they have, and they don't know what types of customers they have. So if I walked into most businesses today of any kind, even something as draconian as a law firm, the law firm can tell you how many case files, how many clients, they can tell you how many open cases they have in each division, the civil, the criminal, the family law, they can tell you all of that. Healthcare, we still find it to be a complete outlier when a practice or a provider can tell you, yeah, you know what, last year I saw 16,000 Medicare patients, I have 23,000 total patients. Here's my breakdown by plan in the Medicare Advantage space. It happens, but it's pretty close to a unicorn. I think that's part of the challenge as we move towards risk and merit value-based payments is that providers who don't even have a grasp on their client base are in the next few years going to be forced or asked or suggested (laughs) to move away from fee-for-service where it's no longer see patient, touch patient, get paid. It is get effective outcomes as quickly as possible based on this criteria. And it's pretty hard to plan strategically to meet criteria if you don't know what you have in the way of a client base. So the short of it is that if I'm a provider and I'm considering whether I want to offer CCM, my takeaway from what you said is that it's really hard for me to sit in my office and contemplate whether this is a good move or not, because I don't really have the wherewithal to know how many patients of mine might be eligible for it. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. I think most of the models, and certainly the way we do it at CareSync, there's not a cost up front to the provider. So we take a fixed portion of the reimbursement every month. We don't charge for our technology. We, we take that fixed portion, and that is it. So if a patient spends four hours on the phone with us one month, if the patient spends no hours on the phone with us that month, and we spend all of the care coordination time with providers and pharmacists and social workers and caregivers, it's a fixed cost. And there is no disparate level of service or technology. Our provider gets it all. There's no upfront cost. And we simply take a portion of the reimbursement. 
So in that case, it, I would argue it's kind of the opposite. It's a no-brainer, even if you had 20 patients, because it's not costing you anything up front. You are getting a value, and the patient, more importantly, is getting a value. Although at the same time, time is always a rate-limiting commodity. So if you have 20 patients, obviously sure. the return on the investment in an absolute term not as a relative term, that in an absolute term, you know, I'm trying to think, do I spend my time figuring out how to do CCM or do I spend my time figuring out how to, I don't know, optimize my EHR system or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I think that's a, I think that's a great point. I think that that highlights why it's important to figure out the best way to approach CCM. Because look, I mean, when, when CMS creates a $17 billion market, which is in effect before the commercial market, before Medicaid, that's about what CCM is with full adoption, about a $17.5 billion market. I don't want to say we were the only one, but we were the only one we knew of at the time. Companies who actually did the bulk from both the technology and services are almost all of what chronic care management is. So CMS creates this market and people pop up and they say, well, gosh, how can we build something to that code? How can we figure out how to capture some of that? There are different ways and different approaches to chronic care management. There's no doubt. I think your point highlights why it's important for a provider to do their homework and figure out the best model that works for them. But keeping in mind that under the general supervision, the provider has the ability to find solutions who actually don't take any of their time on a month-to-month -month basis. The provider simply has to have somebody in the office enroll the patients one time at an initiating face-to-face -face visit, and then somebody bill every month for the patients that were fulfilled by the vendor who did the services every month. So the reason I say it's a no-brainer is, yeah, a little bit of training, a couple hours of implementation, billing work ongoing, but every single one of those patients that's enrolled, if you're doing it right, you're getting a level of data that's laying the pathway to transitioning to merit or value-based pay. So even if it is 20 of your 200 patients, it's at least a sample size that gives me some good data when I have to make that decision down the road. And I do think that this is important, just given exactly what you just said relative to the number of technology vendors coming out of the woodwork saying that they can do CCM, because what these vendors are doing is promising, you know, providers that are going to make an extra quarter million dollars a year or some very high numbers. And I really see the implication of what you're saying that if a provider doesn't really understand what their patient mix is or is a little, I don't want to use the word clueless, but maybe I do, you know, relative to how many patients are likely to be able to sign up for CCM reimbursement, then they are likely to believe and have way elevated expectations, which might not be realistic. Yeah. So, I mean, look, we, um, I'll plead guilty on behalf of CareSync. I think when we first started, obviously, when you go out to sell something, the revenue seems like it's a pretty easy lead. And in the healthcare space, it's kind of one of those things where I walk into your office and I know you care about the revenue and you know I know you care about the revenue, but I can't really tell you that I know and acknowledge that you know that I know kind of thing, the old Princess Bride game. <laughs> but there's no doubt that, look, in the early days of, of chronic care management, we highlighted revenue too. What I tell all of our partners throughout the country, our sales reps, anybody who is presenting or pitching CareSync to anybody on the chronic care management space is, I actually don't mention price and I actually don't mention revenue when I have the conversation with a provider. And the reason for that, or a health system, any size, any type, and the reason for that is, if I have a provider who opts into chronic care management based on the revenue and wanting to haggle on price, they're telling me that they haven't bought into the value and the actual purpose of the code, and they probably don't understand 
the importance of the code in transitioning to out of fee for service and into merit or outcome based payment. So step one is being able to establish why CareSync or chronic care management will help lay brick by brick the pathway away from fee for service and into merit based pay. If the provider doesn't acknowledge that, we're not going to be a fit. They can go find somebody who's maybe less expensive, somebody who doesn't go get all records and, and aggregate those records, a lower cost, so therefore a lower, you know, they, they have a lower cost to fulfill, so they can beat us on price, and all those other things come into play. The only conversation I want to have with somebody who's talking about chronic care management in the way of working with CareSync is, do you understand, yes or no, that chronic care management is step one in a long process? And that you could go maybe generate more revenue from 99490 for the next year, um, maybe the next year and a half. But when it comes time to transition out of fee for service, you're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call me and you're going to say, Jamie, by gosh, you were right. I should have listened. I made that $250,000 because I went cheap. But now I have a gun to my head. Fee for service is over and I have to pick which merit or outcome based payment model to go to. And I don't have a clue. I think that's a very valid point that not only applicable to providers, but also plans. I mean, we've got people at all different stages along the continuum from FFS to value based payment. And I don't even mean necessarily logistically along yeah. the mental continuum. Yep. What do just the thought process and buying into the whole idea? So, you know, you've got plans, as you said, some of them are trying to figure out every way to not reimburse or, or reimburse at a lower level. And then you've got other plans that are fully embracing it. You know, you've got providers as well as payers at every stakeholder along in the healthcare continuum at various places along the continuum, which probably ends up to make your days interesting. Yeah. So, and, and then you have the other, the third component, right? Is that you have some plans who break the two plans who are discouraging reimbursement into two camps. And there's probably more, but, but the two most predominant camps are this. Camp one is they think it's a waste of money. They think it's a liability on their actuaries. They may or may not stressing the latter, have actually incorporated chronic care management into their actuaries last year. So they say, well, gosh, we want to discourage patients from doing it. The other camp of payers who are discouraging patients uh, or providers from getting reimbursed are saying, golly, you know what? This non-face-to-face -face care coordination thing makes sense. We have some care coordinators or case managers or care navigators or whatever they call them at that plan. Why don't we get our hands on that and make some money on that? So we'll create a different code for our network and if they want to do this non-face-to-face -face care coordination they can do it through us because we know better well there's a big problem with that in my humble opinion and that is that those case managers care coordinators navigators whatever they're called can't actually have access by federal law to the patient information so now you have a care manager calling a patient who can't access the information the plan has on the patient calling and saying hey stacy my name's jamie with grant insurance, and will you tell me your diagnoses? I'm here to help you. There's a fundamental disconnect there, right? And so the impact of that can't possibly be as significant as a scenario where a patient has actually selected an advocate to go be their advocate, go get their information, be agnostic to the insurance plan. Because at, at the end of the day, I think it's fair to say that health insurance and big banks and Congress all pull within a margin of error of a plus or minus two of each other. So we as consumers don't trust our insurance companies, right or wrong, with this information. We think they're going to deny claims. We think they're going to in increase premiums. 
And so the plans have a, a question to ask there of, do they want to be in the business of care coordination and case management, or do they want to be in the, insurance, the, the business of health insurance when that's become an increasingly more difficult target to, to be profitable in? Those lines are even going to become more blurred and messy as you start getting into more verticals. Sure. Just as payers and providers start buying each other and ACOs start taking on more risk, this could... So it's a it's a really and that's an awesome point, Stacey. I think you're I think you're spot on in that. That as the market consolidates, it's going to get nastier and nastier just from the commingling of all these different things within the verticals and all these different acquisitions and who really owns who and who really has the buying power. I think one of the interesting questions that I try and ask myself every day in this fight with the the, the fight to free consumers and providers to create consumerism and healthcare to whatever small microscopic effect Kirsten can have on that journey. Think about rideshare today. Dispatch has become a thing that's not non-existent, but I'd venture to guess that you and your friends, certainly me and my friends, I couldn't tell you the last time I spoke to somebody in a dispatch office to get a ride. True. Technology was created that let me transact with a provider directly, right? So the service provider and the consumer going around this intermediary had the ability to say, I want a ride. I want to give a ride. Great. Get in the car. The same thing will happen in healthcare. It's a matter of when and it's a matter of how. And I think if I was smart enough to tell you exactly how or exactly when, I could retire But at some point, the patient, the family, the caregiver, and the provider have the requisite level of information to transact directly. So whether it's things like direct primary care, or it's things like chronic care management, or any of the other kind of innovative models that are coming out, they're all marching towards a day where the provider is not dependent on the health insurance plan's actuaries because they actually have the information they need to know their population and take on the risk. And the provider, or or the patient rather, has the information it needs, or he or she needs, to find value in healthcare, whether it's by price or by outcomes. When those two things marry, we've done something really powerful. And I think it's fair to say that chronic care management is a small part of that, and certainly a major part of the, the now part of it, in the sense of bringing the patient and providers together, putting that information together that in the aggregate moves us closer to that actually happening. Yeah. And and I've heard it said that, you know, the more transparency in healthcare between that patients really have, the less able middlemen type organizations who sort of depend on transactional yeah. margins, the, the more their business models are in jeopardy. Yeah. So, so have you ever found, I mean, this would be a great contest for, for your podcast. You know, the first person who can send you an explanation of benefits where any combination of math in as many sequences as they want gets the EOB to equal zero. <laughs> right. So like you can use as much addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, anything you want in math and you have to get to zero. You know, it, it's a, it's a lottery ticket if it happened. Right. And to your point, there are people who make a lot of money in this space predicated on the fact that, that really smart people like you can't even really understand your explanation of benefit because there is no math, right? There's, a, there's an unknown variable that was, well, because we felt like it or because this other thing said so. And so there are a lot of people who make a lot of money predicated on confusion in the foreign language of healthcare. You're absolutely, I think you're spot on that as we can all understand it, I mean, I don't think I'm that smart. I, I managed to get through law school. I don't understand an, an EOB. Yeah. And so if I don't, what is somebody with no high school education or somebody who doesn't have English as a first language or any other challenges that somebody has to maybe understand the complicated world of healthcare? 
until it makes sense. My mom's a kindergarten teacher, love her to death, amazing woman. But if an EOB doesn't make sense on its face to my mom, we have a problem. Exactly. And we're still there. I want to make sure that we have at least a moment of time to talk about CareSync and, and where you're at right now. Give us the, uh, what are you guys up to exactly now? Who should be interested? Who should call you? The primary care providers or the quarterback for the patient's care. I always put that caveat on it. So, so the provider that is responsible for calling the plays and getting the team lined up for that patient, whether it's a primary care provider, whether it's a, a, a cardiologist, for example, in a lot of cases, an endocrinologist, Uh, The provider that is that patient's quarterback should absolutely be figuring out the best way to do chronic care management for themselves, whether that's with CareSync or somebody else, because at the end of the day, the clock is ticking on the transition out of fee-for-service into merit or value-based pay. And so for us right now, um, I have to kind of always give the caveat that, you know, we're, we're really not a chronic care management company as much as we're a company that does chronic care management better than anybody because quite frankly, we got lucky in the fact that CMS basically created a code that almost verbatim was us. What we, at the end of the day, will always be is a company that is set out to use technology and services to transform the way that patients and providers and care caregivers get better healthcare. Chronic care management is obviously our focus right now. So that's where we're scaling across the country and working with practices who understand the significance of the code, who understand the need for their patients to have this benefit from a Hippocratic perspective, but also from a business of healthcare perspective. And if someone is interested in reaching out or learning more about CareSync, where would you direct them? CareSync.com on the web, on Twitter, Facebook, at CareSync. My Twitter handle, James Grant FL. I'm always happy. I, I joke that if there was such a, I don't think ICD-10 has a diagnosis for a Twitter addiction, but I think if they did, <laughs> uh, that I might uh, meet the, the threshold. So if anybody has any questions for me personally, but CareSync.com or at CareSync on Twitter, Facebook would probably be the best. I thank you so much for being on the program today, Jamie. Stacy, thanks a ton. I had a blast. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.